Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Revelation. All right, guys, we'll be picking up in Revelation chapter 10 here tonight. Revelation chapter 10, verse 1 is where we will be. And turn there in your Bibles. As you're turning there, reminder, some of these things um, just came out in the e-bulletin this week. Yeah, man, thank you. Um, We have a work day this Saturday, 8 to noon over at the Killian campus. And so we would love it if you're available to come out and join us, help out with projects there. Uh, If you can't make it for the whole time, that's fine. Um, we're going to be doing indoor projects, outdoor projects, moving um, some stuff that's in storage there around um, related to the school, opening up some classrooms, doing some cleaning, a little touch-up, and then a good bit of yard work. And so if you have yard, t- if, you're out, if you are coming, you've got yard tools, um, bring those along. That'd be a big help. And uh, we'll be doing the same thing next Wednesday. Okay, so this is our last midweek here. For the foreseeable future, next week, Wednesday, we will be over at the other campus. We'll be doing what we call prayer and projects. You like that? Um, so there's going to be more projects to be done, but I'm, I genuinely mean it when I say prayer. Some of you feel a little bit more equipped to pray than you do to do projects, and we love that. And so if you're one who's like, listen, I want to pray. I don't know that I can paint something. I don't know that I can pick something up, but I can go and pray. Well, praise God, we're going to have you do it. Um, So that'll be happening next week on Wednesday. Again, that'll be over at the Killian campus. And then, of course, Resurrection Weekend, uh, everything will be over there. And um, and then the Wednesday following that same thing, we're going to have a special midweek service there on April 20th as well. So at least for the next two Wednesdays, don't come here, okay? But we'll send out emails on that and alerts and make sure you know about that, okay? All right, let's do this. We went through two chapters last week, eight and nine, and then we come to a chapter that's got 11 verses, and that's all we're going to do. Funny how that works, right? Uh, And so as we pick up here in chapter 10 this evening, we now come to one of those places in Revelation that we've uh, considered before, this is an interlude. This is sort of a parenthetical chapter. There's, there's kind of a pause that happens in the midst of the judgment that's being poured out. And so this particular interlude here comes between the sixth and seventh trumpet. And so the sixth trumpet had sounded uh, there at the end of uh, chapter 9. And so now we're in between that, and we won't see the seventh trumpet sound until uh, chapter 11, verse 14. So we're going to have this interlude in that space. We, we maybe could have pushed into chapter 11 tonight, but we get into the topic of the two witnesses. And even though that section um, is relatively short, there's a lot to consider when we look at the two witnesses, who they are, what they're doing um, lots to consider there in terms of who, who, who are they. Um, and so you remember at the end of chapter 9, we'd witnessed the terrible destruction that had come from the blowing of the six trumpets. And then, astonishingly, right, we, um, 
we see that there were many who remained unrepentant. They didn't change. They didn't, they didn't veer from their path. And it really just shows us the depravity of mankind. It shows us the wickedness of man's heart. Uh, that they would not turn away from their idolatry despite what they were seeing come upon the inhabitants of the earth. Um, we're going to see shortly that this angel thunders. There's going to be many thunderings. It's going to be a good environment for us tonight. This will really come to life for us, maybe. Um, yeah, there it is. Um, so, so here then we come into chapter 10 and there's this pause. And I think along with this pause, not only is this, we, again, we have John's vision, his revelation here. He's writing down the things that he sees. And so he's giving us a description of all of this. But this is yet another indication, in my opinion, of God's mercy. Okay, this is another opportunity here in between the judgment that's being poured out that there is a pause And so I think it it should not be lost on us. It's important for us to consider that over and over again, God demonstrates mercy. Here we see that there's a people who don't repent, and then God slows down for a little bit. That's the God that we serve. He's a God who desires that none would perish, that that all would come to repentance. But what we'll see here is that the opportunity for repentance on the part of those who are living in the time of the tribulation, it's running out. Time is quickly progressing towards its end. And once we get to the final period of the tribulation and the pouring out of the bowls of wrath, there will be no more relenting. Uh, And so what we also then find as we have experienced thus far, especially in the last few chapters, is that in our study of Revelation, and we'll see this here tonight in this chapter, the Word of God is bittersweet in many respects, and we'll see John experience this himself, that to receive the Word of God is something that is truly sweet, but there's a bitterness to it because of the devastation we see in the people that ultimately perish in their rebellion. And so here in this chapter then, we see a mighty angel begin to declare, in fact, that there will be no more delay, that these events are coming to their ultimate Uh, fulfillment all of God's plans are coming to their final conclusion and so we see here chapter 10 verse 1 John then writes he says I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven now this angel is clothed with a cloud he says and a rainbow was on his head it's this rainbow is worn like a crown his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Now, of course, it's natural for us to ask when we see this, who is this? Who is this angel? This is clearly a magnificent description of this angelic being that John sees. This being is coming down from heaven, so it's coming from heaven differently than what came out of the pit, the abyss, in the last chapter. This is coming from heaven. This angel is clothed with a cloud. We, don't even, we can't even fully understand what that means, right? How it is that they're clothed with a cloud. We can imagine it. This rainbow worn as a crown. The rainbow, a sign of God's faithfulness. The rainbow, you remember, was there in the throne room of heaven as well. This, angel, this angelic being, his face is shining like the sun. Uh, no doubt because of having been in God's presence. Feet like fire. And so there's, of course, as there always is, debate over the identity of this angel. Many suggest, as you might imagine, that this is Jesus. 
it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen Jesus come in the form of an angel, a theophany like we often see in the Old Testament. And it's understandable also based on this description. I mean, the description of this angel is quite magnificent, right? Um, This angel has similarities even to the description that we have of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. If you remember that in verses 15 and 16 of Revelation 1, we see that the description of Jesus that his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice is the sound of many waters. We'll see here shortly that this angel has a voice like a lion. And uh, Revelation 1.16, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So there are indeed some similarities in these descriptions. And if you take the approach, if you're one who says, I think that this is Jesus, I think you can probably defend that. I think, again, many people have, and it's not entirely off base to say that that, that would be your stance. But that would not be the the position I would take. Um, This word another, here as John says, I saw still another mighty angel. Um, This this word another is um, the word alon, and it means uh, another of the same kind. That's what this, this, this word gives us insight to, another of the same kind. So really, John here is saying, I, I, I saw coming down from heaven another of the same kind, which would really tie back to the previous angel that he saw in chapter 9. And so I think that this really suggests that this is, in fact, an angel. And of course, this would be the more literal interpretation of it. Furthermore, though we have seen Jesus... Uh, in such a capacity before, as I mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, Jesus in Revelation is never called an angel. Um, he's never referred to as an angel in the book of Revelation, unless, of course, you were to say that this is him here, but otherwise we really don't see that in this uh, book. But Revelation is very focused on angelic beings. In fact, angels are mentioned over 60 times in this book. And so Revelation is a book that's very much focused on the work of angelic beings. And further still, what we see here shortly is that there's another voice that comes from heaven beside this angel, most likely the voice of God. And then in verse 6, this angel swears by God. We'll see that he puts his right hand up and he swears by God. He swears an oath to the statement that he's making. And he really, he he swears it to one who is greater. And so I'm of the opinion that this is not Jesus. Now, some say it's Michael, the archangel. Then I think, sure, you could, I mean, given the description here, um, that would probably be a good guess if, in fact, this is uh, an angel, but we don't know. Like many things, and we'll we'll consider that even here tonight in chapter ten. There's some things we don't know, and we need to be okay that we don't know. Um, verse two and three. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. Okay, this is a this is a big dude. All right, this this angelic being is is very ominous, very large, such that his right foot can be on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. I don't know if any of you have ever heard a lion roar. I think it's fantastic. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. 
if you go to the zoo at the right time, and when it's cool, especially in the morning, it's doing its thing and it's roaring and it's like, it's a sound that you're like, holy smokes, how does it come out of that animal? I mean, it's a big animal, right? But yet the sound is still something that it sort of like shakes your insides a little bit. And it's like, that is so cool. And I, no, I can't demonstrate. I wish I could. I did play Aslan in my sixth grade play. And I had to roar. I'm pretty sure it was, it was impressive. I had a, uh, a, a, a gold-colored sweatsuit with some mittens and a, uh, a lion thing and a mane. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's, vi- I don't know. There's got, it's somewhere, it's somewhere probably, yeah. Um, I was about this size in the sixth grade. I stopped growing shortly after sixth grade. And so when they needed a lion, I didn't even get to, I didn't even have to audition. The teacher was just like, you're the lion. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyhow, but those, my days of playing a lion are over. Um, so here, there's this roaring uh, like a lion. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And so what's that even, right? What, seven thunders uttered their voices. What we're going to see here is we, we don't, this is one of those areas where it's like we're, we definitely don't know. Um, now the size and the significance of the angel in this vision is noteworthy, right? And this is a position of authority. The stance here with one foot on the land and a, and a foot on the sea really I think intends to communicate here as a representative of God that this is showing God's authority over creation, and that the message that's being shared is a message for the whole world, or at least those that are on the earth as they've been referred to here thus far. And in the angel's hand, we see that there is a little book. Now some think, is this the scroll that we saw in chapter 5? I don't know that it is. Um, it seems to me it's unlikely that it's the scroll from chapter 5. The word open, there is, he says there's an open book. It's in the perfect passive and it means really that it has been open since before John had even seen it. Um, if it were the scroll, it would seem that maybe John would describe that a little bit more because, of course, we know that the scroll in chapter 5, was, it was a big deal who was able to take that. Um, and as we'll see here later, John's going to receive it himself. Um, so, again, a, a debatable point. The angel then begins to speak. Again, we, it's, it's this... It's just this roar like a lion. It's a, it's a booming sound, and he cries out seven thunders. Now, thunders are often seen as a warning of what is to come. It, it could probably be assumed that that is, in fact, what is happening there as the thunders are voiced, that it, it's more of a, here's what's going to happen. But, but then here's what's interesting. Uh, in verse 4, Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. So John all along has been writing. This is what he was instructed to do. From the very beginning he was told, write. Write these things down. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
The time has come. This is, this is a revealing of the end times. And so John has been doing a great job of writing everything down. And here he, he's about to write what he has heard. The implication is he has heard it. He heard the voices. But he's instructed now to keep these things a secret. These specific things, seal it up. These are a secret. So, so far, seven seals have brought destruction upon the earth and the inhabitants thereof. Six of seven trumpet judgments have sounded. And seemingly now, seven thunders, warnings, are uttered, indicating further judgment. And as much as as much specificity as we've seen to this point, now John's ready to write, and, and what is likely God's voice commands him saying, you don't write this down. You are going to seal this part up. And we don't know why. We don't know why. We have no indication as to why he is told to seal this up. Now, it's not the first time that something like this has happened. If you recall, when Daniel saw his vision uh, he was told to seal up what he had seen, and really all of it. And I think there's part of what we then, what we're seeing here in Revelation, what we're reading about, that is the revealing of what Daniel himself had seen. But you know, Daniel was one who was told, "You don't, you're not going to share this. You're going to seal this up. This is not for now." Um, and so Daniel was told to seal up what he had seen. But in Revelation, at the beginning again, it was said that John would write and reveal these things except for this. So potentially then, what's interesting to think about here is that John, John the Apostle, is the only one who ever knew these details. Think about that. Because John wasn't just, John hadn't died and gone into heaven. And, and so yes, of course, there's other people who are in heaven now, in the throne room of heaven, that are probably hearing these things. But they're there. John, we know, is going to go back. He's got work to do. John's going to continue to minister. And so he's the only man on earth who has insight into specifically these thunderings, these warnings of judgment. And so... He's the only one that ever knew these details, and he took them to his grave. Could you keep that a secret? You know, listen, you know, as John went and made his travels, as he went and delivered the letters to all the churches, what he had written down, you know that there was somebody in every one of those churches that was like, hey, John, you can tell me. Just tell me. What is it? Right? You know that it has, somebody was trying to get it out of John. And we always want to know stuff like this, don't we? I mean, if you're like me, you, 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 you come across stuff and you're like, man, I wonder. I wonder what this was. For me, one of the things that I wonder about is when uh, Jesus appears to the two disciples um, there as they're leaving Jerusalem. And it says that, you know, they didn't recognize him. And he comes up to me, he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they look at him and they're like, who are you? Do you even know what's happened? Right? And they begin to walk with him. And he, it says, the scripture says that he expounded to them upon all the law and the prophets. And I want to know, like, what did he say? What did Jesus say to these guys? I want to know. That had to have been an awesome sermon as, as Jesus walked them through the whole Old Testament and, and basically said, I, I'm there in every book. And so there's things that we don't know, things that we don't have insight into that I think oftentimes we find ourselves wanting to know about. Countless books, maybe not the entire book, 
But many, many commentaries have been written on this topic. Guys who are speculating, what, what did John hear? What did he hear? And, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about because uh, many people want to try and speculate, and so often I think we put effort, more effort even sometimes, into trying to know the things that are unknown versus practicing the things that are known. Right? I mean, there's some people that are truly guilty of that. And we ask all the funny questions, right? Like, did, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? The number of times I've been in a debate over, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? And you're like, seriously? No. No, they didn't. You can't convince me otherwise. But, um, I mean, and so there's, we, we get sucked into these, these funny things, right? And, and yet, we've got all of this. We have so much that God's shown us and that God's revealed to us. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord. And I know sometimes that's tough for us to handle and to receive, but it's true. We need to be okay sometimes saying, man, we just don't know. And that's okay. We don't know why God did this, why God said to John, don't write this down. And the fact is, I don't, we may not ever know. You know, because we could sit here too and say, oh man, when we're in glory, we're going to know. Maybe we won't. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Um, what we need to ask ourselves really is, are we okay with that? Are we okay with not knowing? And maybe some of you here tonight, you, you're like, yeah, I'm, this stuff doesn't bother me. Um, Grant Osborne writes, he says here, John is being told to affirm God's sovereign control over the judgments proclaimed in the thunders and then is prohibited from revealing the contents to his readers. The major message, he says, is one of sovereignty. God is in control and the saints do not need to know all the details. And I would agree with this. We are called to trust in God. And, and, and even through the last several chapters, I think that's been a big part of what's put before us is to see that, that, God, that God is in charge, that God has perfect timing, that even as He unleashes judgment, we saw this in last week's study, so often we see, well, a third was destroyed and a third was destroyed. I mean, there's precision even in the judgment. It's not like God just sort of pulls back or opens up the gates and just says, have at it. No, He, re- he, he, allows, he, he allows Satan to carry out what is ultimately God's judgment upon the earth, but He limits it. And so I think over and over again, what we're to see here is that God is in control. And that should be an encouragement to us. That should be a comfort to us, especially when we live in a time when so many things seem out of control. God's in control. But this has been a challenge for men from the very beginning, has it not? Again, you might not be sitting here tonight just dying to know, what, what, what did John hear? Some people are. Some people really want to know some of these things. And others are like, well, I'm okay. But it's been an issue from the very beginning. I mean, think about it. In the garden, God said, and can you imagine the garden? I mean, think about how amazing that had to be. 
God, the creator God of the universe, created paradise. And, and so for you, think of where you've been that you were just like, this has got to be close. And just know it wasn't. It wasn't close. And it's not close to, I think, even what it will be. Because here's the other cool thing, just side note. Whatever God did in Eden, the new heaven and new earth, is going to be better. Because God's not going to create something. God's not going to bring all of this plan of salvation to its completion, and it be less than what He started with. That's not who God is. So whatever we have to look for, it's going to be better. But just think for a moment, like how amazing Eden was. And God says, look at all this. It's good. The creator God of the universe declared it to be good. And he shows it to Adam and he shows it to Eve and he said, you can, you can eat of all of this. It's all yours. Except for one. Just one. Everything else is yours. And they said, which one? Which one, which one can't we eat? And then what did they do? They go to that one. That's our pattern. We, we, we hone in on the stuff that's like, really? You had all this? And you went here? And I think we do the same thing with the Word. Endless debates over all sorts of different things in Scripture and stuff that we don't know the answer to and things that we get hung up on. Listen, and this is not, a, this is not me saying, hey, don't come to me with a question. But you'd be amazed how many times I'm having conversation with somebody because they're hung up on something that is like unknowable. And we get stuck there. What do you think about this? And yet we've got all these other trees that we can eat from. And we go, oh, but this, this thing's just really got me stuck. Right? And I'm not suggesting don't study. I'm not suggesting that we, we should just you know, disregard all things or not take an opportunity to go, oh man, I want to understand this more. But this is our pattern. And, and so God of His Word, He says, He says here, open before you is my Word with all sorts of things for you. And we can get kind of stuck on the things that aren't revealed. And I don't know, again, why God does this, but I'm inclined to agree with Osborne and suggest that perhaps it's simply about His sovereignty. It's, it's maybe God saying, will you, will you trust me? Will you just trust me with this? Now, there are some who suggest something different in this particular passage. It's compelling that this is less about God sealing up something that He doesn't want John to communicate and that perhaps there were these thunderings, these warnings of additional judgment that God saying, don't write this down, is in effect God saying, don't, I'm not even going to do it. I'm going to relent. And that his sealing up of these things is him saying, I'm not even going to unleash this upon the earth. It, we've, we've seen, demonstrated God's uh, incredible mercy that could be. Um, but I personally would lean the way of, no, there was something and God just said, no, don't include that. And, uh, and that we need to trust God and be okay sometimes with what we don't know. But that we trust that He's in control, that He's in charge, that He has a plan and it's perfect, that He's good, and that what He has for us is good. There are plenty of things that we can ask why of God, but there, there, there is in... And don't misunderstand me because I don't want to condemn, but I think when we ask why, as 
often some do in situations like this. There's a pride and an arrogance in that. The better question to ask when we, are, when we feel somewhat compelled to ask God why, the better question is what? If we're truly trusting God, the better question is what? Because if we trust God and we know He is good and we know He has a plan and we know He's always at work and we know He has perfect timing, then we can trust that He is always doing something and that He is working something and that He is achieving something. And so we can ask when things seem sort of odd, we can instead ask, what are you doing here, Lord? What is it that you're doing? What are you working? What is it that you are are working together for good for those that love you and are called according to your purpose? For those that you desire to conform into your image? What is it that you're doing, Lord? And I think that communicates a greater sense of humility before God who's in control. And so God says, look, seal that up. And verse Five, verses 5 and 6, we see then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, he raised up his hand. Um, some of your translations may read his right hand. I think that um, is a fair translation, the more literal translation. And it suggests that he is kind of swearing an oath. He raised up his hand to heaven, verse 6, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. So here the angel, again, this tells me that this is an angel as he swears to one who is greater, to the God in heaven who is over all things. And as he swears this oath, he is now declaring a message saying, there will be delay no longer. There's no longer a delay. Things are coming to their end. And so here's this angel with right hand raised to heaven, swearing an oath by God, saying there's not going to be any more delay. And this is an answer to the martyr's cry. Remember the martyr's cry? How long, O Lord? Here the angel declares, no more delay. This is an answer to the question throughout the ages. Many have asked the question, God, what are you doing? How long, Lord? But here we know that it is going to come to a point when a representative of God will say, there's no more delay. And so this is now a declaration from a place of power that there will be no more delay, that all of God's plans will begin to come to their completion. And this is the the encouragement and the hope that's intended to bring uh, into perspective um, all things, that that it's all coming to its conclusion uh daniel in daniel chapter 12 now remember again daniel was given a vision but he was given a vision that he was told to seal up it wasn't to be entirely shared we have some of it but not all of it and in daniel chapter 12 it says at that time michael shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people another another reason why some people say that this angelic being is michael And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn 
many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And so he starts to see more of his vision here. And uh, um, at the end of that chapter, and from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days but you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Daniel was given a vision of the end times, and here is this angel is declaring there will be no more delay. He is saying, here comes the fulfillment of prophecy that was given very long ago. And so we're going to find then the fulfillment of Daniel here in the remainder of Revelation. Isaiah, prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 11, declares, my word will not return void. Right? He says that the word that goes out, it will return. It will accomplish its purpose. And so here what we see then is that we're moving toward this point where God says, that is enough. No more. And I wonder, have you asked that question before? No differently than the martyrs. How long, Lord? As we look around the world and things that are happening today, do you find yourself saying, how long, Lord? How much longer? And, and, and believers today, especially the more evangelical believer, you, you hear and you may say yourself, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That's what we desire. And what we see here in Scripture is that it is happening. And there is going to come a point, and God's going to come precisely when He means to come, because He is a God of order, because He has a plan. And I think of, uh, of, of Peter. Peter writes in 2 Peter in chapter 3, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but his long suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance he says further on in that chapter in verse 14 therefore beloved looking forward to these things be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our lord is salvation as also our beloved brother paul according to the wisdom given to him has written to you he's saying there's no more delay these things are going to begin to come to an end and God will confirm His Word. He'll confirm His Word. Verse 7, But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when He is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. As He declared to His servants, the prophets. There is an ending on this. The gospel itself, he says here, 
that the mystery of God would be finished. You know, Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 3, he calls the, the gospel itself the mystery of Christ. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes in the very first chapter, verses 9 and 10, he says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Scripture continually, over and over again, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, they say there's coming a time when God is going to bring to completion his plan of salvation. And do we think about that? Does that serve as a hope for us? Is an encouragement to us. And yes, throughout history, people felt like, oh, we're almost there. We're almost there. But what we've seen, because, and th- these are part of the things that we don't know. All throughout history, people were operating off of what they knew and speculating as to what would come. But then we only know God's, part of God's, we have God's revealed will in Scripture, right? But we, then we have His hidden will that's only known when we're looking back on it. And so we now have the benefit of looking back on many people who thought, okay, we're right there, we're right there. And then it, it just didn't happen, right? And, and we now have the benefit of being able to look back and see what God's been doing. And all along we know that from the very beginning, whether it was the fall there in the Garden of Eden and God immediately clothing His people and, and then explaining to them the animal sacrifice, as we then know that Adam and Eve explained that to their own children, and sadly Cain didn't understand what a good sacrifice was, but Abel did, and we see that happen, but we see humanity fall further and further into their sin and their wickedness, and then we see the flood come, and, and, and Noah, and, and eventually God calls out Abraham from amongst a people and sets him apart for his own name, and, and, and we see from Abraham to um, Isaac and Jacob to the time in Egypt and their deliverance from Egypt and the wilderness and then their entrance into the promised land and then silence for 400 years and, and then all of a sudden another prophet who comes declaring you make way uh, a path for the Lord and we see Jesus come and, and guys all along we've had people who have been looking to the word and trying to understand how all these things were going to unfold but we get to look back and we can see very clearly These things have been happening. There is an order. There's a pattern. There's precision in God's plan. And so we then are still the people who have some things that are yet before us, but we have no reason to look at these things and say, "Mm, I don't know, because we've got the benefit of history now to look back on and say, God's been doing it. Consistently, he's been doing it. And now we live in an age where we have things like Israel becoming a nation, right? And and as we get into... um, Chapter 11, the first part of it, we're going to see that John's told to basically pick up a ruler and start to measure out the temple. And this is going to be a fun chapter because we're going to talk a little bit about the Temple Mount today and, and what's going on in Jerusalem. And, and, um, and so we can look back at these things and say, man, God is at work. The very things that he said he was going to do, he has either done them, is doing them, or we have the confidence because of those two that he's going to do them. Amen? And so that's how we need to live our lives with a sense of there is going to come a point and praise God, I think that we're going to be in the throne room of heaven when whoever this angelic being is who's standing in such a way where they're sort of spanning across a significant part of creation says, no more delay. No more. It's all coming to its end. And as much then again as we think about, wow, wow, that's powerful, 
and it's an encouragement, and it's exciting. As I mentioned at the beginning, it is bittersweet because for some, their end is very different than ours. But if we are going to know this, if we are going to live in light of this, well, we need to receive it. And I think that's a big part of what we see here with John. Who knows what he heard? Who knows what those thunderings were? We don't know. He was told not to write it. But as it comes, no doubt, from the book that the angel there is holding, John has to be thinking, man, this is, this is continually, continuing to be some very heavy stuff. But he has to understand it. And not just understand it, he's got to receive it. He's got to abide in it. The Word of God has to sort of assimilate into his life. And that's a picture of what we have here through the rest of the chapter. In verses 8 and 9, it says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again. I think this is God, and God's booming voice is coming to him again. And God says, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. Now that's got to be like, if, 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 if John hadn't had already to put on a new pair of underpants, this would be that moment. Right? This is that moment when John's like, Oh, man, isn't it enough? Now i got to go up to this guy and say, hey, give me that book. <coughs> so I'm thinking, this has got to be a little intimidating. But John says, verse 9, so I went to the angel and said to him, please give me that little book. And he said to me, and so the angel says, and, who, and the angel, we only know at this point that the angel has been speaking as if a roaring lion. Now, I don't know if the angel changes his tone in this moment, but if he doesn't, then that roaring lion sound says, take it and eat it. And that's when I pass out for a moment, and then they you know, wake me up again. And he says, take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter. You came in tonight, and we have dessert. And nobody was like, take it, eat it. It'll make your stomach bitter. And you'd be, oh, thanks. No, this is weird. This is like, oh, man, John's got to be really going through it here. But then he says, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And you're kind of like, I don't know, maybe the other way around. Um, and so this has got to be just really an incredible moment for John. But it's a great picture for us as well because John is obedient here. Verse 10, then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And so he starts to feel sick. It's this thing that was bitter sweet. It was sweet when he ingested it, but it became bitter in his stomach. Daniel Aiken writes, God's word comes with authority. Its promises and prophecies are certain to be fulfilled. However, it is of little or no value to us personally if we do not take it, read it, feed on it, and then proclaim it. You see, the pattern we see here with John is, John, if you're going to do your job, John, if you're going to do what I'm calling you to do, if, if you're going to receive this, if you're going to know this, if you're going to walk in light of this, you've got to take it, man. You've got to take it. You've got to consume it. It's got to become part of you. And some of it's good and some of it's hard. But, you, but if you want it, you have to take it. And it's the same thing for us. Now, it's not the first time that we've seen such a display. Some of you, of course, are thinking of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 3, in verses 1 through 3, the prophet writes, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. 
So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. We need to receive the word. You know, we long for Christ's return. We do, we should. But we know that with his return comes great destruction. And, and, and there are some who will perish. And so we know that the word is bittersweet in that way. There is joy in his return, but the judgment that precedes it will be horrific. And, and as we receive his word, we know then, even in our own lives, it's a double-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word is powerful, and sometimes it rips us apart. Amen? But it's His Word that does the work by the Spirit, and it needs to be received. If all we ever do is hear it for the sake of a tickling of the ear and we never ingest it, we never allow it to become part of our lives and transform us. You hear me pray that all the time. Some of you may be like, man, Pastor Brown always prays that same prayer. Yes, that by the power of the Spirit, through the Word of God, our hearts and minds would be transformed. Because stop coming if we're never going to be different. It's pointless. The thing that any pastor longs for the most, and not just in the life of the people, in his own life as well, is change transformation that's the great that's the that's the testimony right that we can say man i was one way and now i'm another and that's an ongoing process god forbid we would ever hit a place where we say yeah that's good i'm gonna stop there no until jesus takes us home we need to be about changing but here's the amazing thing to go back to a truth that we considered a couple weeks ago god has already done that work and so it's not about you tonight saying, oh, well, yeah, I got to just, ooh, I got to dig in more. I got to really get after this. I'm going to tomorrow, I'm going to get up two hours earlier and I'm going to study even harder so that I can change. No, all you need to do is say, God, you're already in me. You already did that work. You said it's finished. You've already done that work in me. What I need to do is just surrender to you and allow you to mature me into who you've already created me to be. Distinct difference. Does it still require us and our part, yes, we're giving ourselves to Him. But it's so different, so different thinking, I've got to work to achieve this versus, man, He's already done this and He's just going to continue to do this in me if I let Him work. Right? Buy the cure, okay? If you don't have 10 bucks, don't buy it, take it. I don't care. That book is, is, a, is a great book. It's the book of the month for a reason. We want you to read it because it reinforces these principles. And I would encourage you, do the study along with it. Because it reads very much like a narrative and it's wonderful because it kind of draws you in. But there's biblical principles. And so as you read the chapter, if you use the footnotes to go and, and read along the biblical references in the commentary, you're going to be blessed by it. It's a Bible study. It's a good Bible study. And I think for some of you, it will free you from some of your thinking about who God is and who you are. And so this is what we're talking about, though. John here says, look, you man, you got to eat this thing. you got to take it. And some of it's sweet and some of it's bitter. But it's His Word and the mystery that needs to be proclaimed that there will come a time when it all comes together and it all makes sense. No more delay. No more mystery. It, and it's going to have its culmination then. And, 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 and Jesus will then come in His glorious second coming. 
And, and what's amazing then here is John, here in the middle of this, this book, goes and he takes this uh, book and he consumes it and he ingests it. That then comes sort of a, a recommissioning then to say, and the vision's not done yet, but this is a moment here where, I don't know, after everything that he's seen and maybe he's just entirely overwhelmed by it all, and, and God says to him here, look, you got some work to do still. I'm, I've got some things for you to do. As he says in verse 11, and he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This is a recommissioning for John. And this is exciting for him. And you know what? John is old. Okay? John's old. And John wants to be done. In many respects, I think John was like, when am I going home? He's been out in the Isle of Patmos. All his friends are dead. And he's got to be thinking, man, this throne room is awesome. But God says, you got some work to do, man. He's sending this old guy back. And he's not sending him to play golf. No offense if you play golf, okay? A game of golf is okay. But if you think you're at a place where you're like, I'm just, I'm done. No, you're not. No, you're not. God's got so much for you to do still. Maybe you're retired from, you know, the, the other job. Praise God for that. But God's like, I'm not done with you yet. And so for John, and, and, and here's the thing then, for John, it's not just a sense of duty, but I think be, because of what he's seen, because of what he's experiencing, it's, it's the joy that he has in knowing God that compels him to, 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 to walk in obedience and to say, okay, I'm going to give myself to this work. But he was willing to receive it. He was willing to ingest it, as it were. He was willing to act on it. And go back to this last Sunday and Paul's encouragement that really, as we considered it, it's like, ser just serve right where you are. There's nothing preventing it. Just, just where's, God, where's God got you? And I was so blessed this week to be talking with somebody who is leading prayer now. They have been, they have been consistently, diligently in the workplace, witnessing to people, serving as counsel to people, praying with people. And now they've got a prayer meeting happening um, multiple mornings a week. Now the boss is participating in the prayer meeting. I mean, there's about to be revival up in this workplace because a guy who is working a lot has said, I guess this is where the Lord has me. And I'm not going to wait for these circumstances to change to serve the Lord. I'm just going to serve Him right where I'm at. And God's doing a work. How awesome is that? That's... And that's life change. That's stories. That's testimony amongst the body that just makes me go, praise God. That's fantastic. And to share the word. But, but to understand that as we do, that there's some that the word is sweet. It's exactly what they needed. It's what they needed here. It's so encouraging. It's such a blessing. And then for some, it's bitter. Right? But it doesn't mean that we're not called to share it. Chuck Swindoll, many of you know him. Uh, he says of chapter 10, he says, just like John, we have roles to play in God's ultimate plan. 
He says, we can't call ourselves apostles and we don't receive literal visions and revelations from God. We're not required to swallow prophetic books to utter inspired words. But each of us has been given a crucial mission to share the good news of salvation with the world. Yet just like John, we must first internalize the message, allowing it to become a part of our own lives. He says it's true that the gospel of Jesus Christ involves both bad news and good news. Bad news about lost humans subject to divine judgment, but good news about the righteous Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who paid the complete penalty for us and saves us when we simply trust in Him. As ambassadors for Christ in this age, we must not only understand and accept the gospel ourselves, but we must also be able to communicate that message to others. He asks, have you accepted God's commission on your life? Here in this interlude, this parenthetical chapter, we have the opportunity to see a few things. One, that God says, my plan will come to completion that He will keep His promises, that He will fulfill His Word, that we have seen over and over again throughout history, and we will see that God will do precisely what He means to, precisely when He means to do it. But that His Word is difficult, but for us to walk in it, we must receive it. We must receive it. We must be willing to take it and then to act upon it and to say, okay, Lord, what would you have me to do? And so for each of us, the opportunities are different, right? But as God said to John here, look, it doesn't matter how old you are or where you've been, how many times they've tried to kill you. I've got more for you to do. And I think that John, quite frankly, is a wonderful example to us of what I kind and some people scoff at this, but I'm increasingly convinced that we are a people as believers who can say, man, I am absolutely invincible. I'm invincible. That I, I can go out and continue to do exactly what God has called me to do and do it until He said we're done. And so when we look at the events of Revelation, when we consider how clear it demonstrates the sovereignty of God, how in control He is, it should cause us then to be a people who don't draw back in fear or worry or doubt, but to say, Lord, give me Your Word. I want it all. And to ingest it and to receive it and to say, Lord, show me what You desire of me and how to walk in this and know that I'm going to do it faithfully until You say we're done. And that's why, too, when we, you know, sometimes, and this is a whole nother study in terms of, you know, when people die and, and when it seems like, man, how can that be God's plan or when it seems earlier than, than what it should be. But we've got to look at those situations. We've got to put them in the context of, of all of this and say, man, God's in control. He's in control. And to take it back to one of the earlier discussions there, we can in those situations say, well, why God? Or we could go, well, what God? What is it that you're doing here? Right? And to understand that there are some things that we, yeah, we don't understand it. We don't get it. And, and that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to understand it all. We're called to trust Him and to be obedient. And to know that, man, He's got His hand upon us. We are safe in the sovereign hand of a Creator God. And so 
Are we living in light of that truth? Are we willing to say, okay, God, what do you have for me? Let's go. Again, we're going to see the next time when we get into this will be a couple weeks, but as we get into chapter 11, then um, we're going to start to see the events of the, really the, the great tribulation, the second half of that seven-year tribulation start to unfold as this angel has declared no more delay. But then what that ushers in is the glorious future that he has for us. And so, um, man, have we accepted God's commission on our life? Have we received what he has for us in his word? Go with that tonight. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for our time and your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it encourages it, us, it challenges us, Lord, uh, convicts us. And uh, Lord, that you, that you care enough about us to work by the Spirit in that way. Um, and so, Lord, uh, just help us to be a people who receive what you have for us, Lord, to know that it's good uh, to trust you in the midst of uncertainty and uh, to just walk, Lord, in obedience to your word, to be willing to receive it and allow it to just work its way into our lives, Lord, and to bring the necessary change and transformation, Lord. Uh, what a gift that is. What grace that is that you would, you would work in that way. And so, Lord, do that in each of, of uh, our lives. Lord, remind us that, that that work that you desire to do is a work that, in effect, you've already done. And so it's not about us working harder but us just surrendering to what you have for us, Lord. Um, What amazing truth that is. And so, Lord, uh, again, work that into our hearts, we pray. Bless each of these here tonight, Lord, as they follow after you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure that you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit our website at ccnortheast.org.